0: I'm going to read today's passage, and um, I want you to follow along in your Bibles. There's a pew Bible in front of you, and there's also, uh, I'll put it on the screen for us to uh, uh, read over also, to follow along. This is from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, I'll stop right there for just a second just to kind of give you some uh, idea of of where we are in this passage. This is the 14th chapter of Luke. Luke, In Luke chapter 9, Jesus has turned his gaze from Galilee to Jerusalem. And from 9 all the way to the triumphal entry is his journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. And he has some great conversations with people. The first part of the, uh, Luke's gospel has been about identifying who Jesus is. You might remember uh, from last uh, fall, uh, Jesus is the one who comes and has the power to forgive. And he is the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath or Lord over the law. He is the one who does those things. He's not only the ones uh, that he displays who he is or tells people who he is through his, his teaching, he does it through the miracles too. The man with the withered hand, the, the woman who lost her son in the, in the city of Nain. Um, and, and, and all through it, you have people who are following Jesus, great crowds, and they seem to be growing. Some are really there because they were called by Christ to follow the 12 apostles, the disciples. Others are friends of friends. Um, still others are, are uh, people who are following because they received something in great, uh, that blew their mind. Maybe they were healed. Maybe um, a friend was healed. A loved one was healed. So they're just wait, waiting to uh, just see what God does next. Others are wanting to be healed. And and then there's still parts of this crowd that are, are those who are enemies, those who push back, those who want to remain in control of their own kingdom. And so now Jesus has moved from identifying who he is to start to talk about this kingdom of God. And what does it mean to be a disciple? And he talks about the kingdom of God in parable. He, sometimes he's implicit. Sometimes he's explicit when he does it. And, and so you're going to be right here in the middle of this. He's talking about discipleship. What does it mean to really, truly follow me and not just be part of a crowd? Or what it means to be a fan. So that's where we find ourselves in this. He turns to them and says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Kind of hard, right? Sometimes we might say, yeah, my brother or my sister, <laughs> you know, but uh, he kind of goes the whole gambit here. And he even talks about, at the culmination, my own life. This person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross, Christ continues, and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the costs, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who seek or see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish." Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Gracious God, I pray that through the reading of your word and the singing of song and the gathering together, that your Holy Spirit will take what is ordinary and make it a gospel message. The walls that we have built up around our hearts and our minds give us the courage and the strength, if just for a few moments, to set them aside. May your Holy Spirit fall. For greater is you who is in us than he that is in the world. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. For you are our rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is a difficult passage. It's a difficult passage because it it really forces the listener to step into a place and deal with uh, items and things and realities that are easy to push aside. You know, in a world where our, our attention is grabbed in so many different ways, The invitation to see things from a different perspective is not always easily done, because we find ourselves being drawn. We find ourselves in the car, we turn on the radio, we find ourselves um, at home, we might be binge watching that show that we just started on Peacock, or we might find ourselves Thinking about what we need to recuperate and, and, and what is set aside are those moments where we can get some deep reflection and self-reflection of our hearts and what's going on in the inside. Now, Jesus does not allow us to um, take an escape here. The words here in this verse 33, so therefore, out of all the things that he had said, if you don't hate your father, mother, brother, sister, even your own life, if you don't pick up your cross, which was a, a call to a, a, a gruesome death, especially in the day of Christ, to even use that term, pick up a cross, everybody knew what that meant, that self-denial that must be uh, connected to that to set yourself aside and allow yourself to be displayed in a very horrific way on a cross. All these things, Jesus summarizes this stuff, therefore, this is the cause, this is, of all these things, this is what is intended to happen, to renounce all. You can sum it all up. Compared to your relationship with Jesus, compared to the call of Christ, compared to the gospel message, the result of that in our lives is to renounce, to say farewell, to say goodbye. Now, I gotta tell you in one sense or another, it is uh, a little uh, discouraging to hear that, that God is this cosmic killjoy wanting to take away all the good things in life, but in reality, that's not what is happening here. What God is talking about, what Jesus is talking about, is those things that you have set up between me and you, you need to renounce. Say farewell, adios those things that become stumbling blocks for you to be able to step further, to take the next step of faith into what I'm calling you to do, you say farewell, adios, I renounce those things. In your doubt, you say adios for just a moment and lean in. And hear, once again, that wonderful message of good news and gospel. To renounce. To set aside. I think it's a cruel, sometimes I think it's cruel to do this. To, to, uh, to hear these words. That God wants to take something away. But I truly believe that when he calls us to take something away, he does it because he knows that that item, that thing, that feeling, that doubt, that whatever that is, is what is standing between us and Him. And it may be different for you than it is for me. And as you look to the person to your left and to your right, you say to yourself, it's going to be different for me than it is for that person there. But discipleship means saying adios, farewell to those things that are standing before you in Christ. Y'all know Laura Marvetts? Y'all know her? She's she's pretty cool, isn't she? Yeah. You know, um, seven, six or seven. How long has she been here, Logan? Six years? It's about that? Yeah, six years. I remember sitting with her. I've been here 13 years. And I remember as she was um, entertaining the thought of becoming a youth director and uh, uh, responding to uh, um, Shane's invitation to come here and and lead the youth, I remember one of the things that that she struggled with was, um, but what about my tennis? She, she's a gold medalist in tennis. She's really good at tennis. She loves tennis. She loves the competition. She loves being involved in this area. And, and, and she's, she struggled with that because if God gave me this gift, wouldn't, God, wouldn't it make sense if God was going to use this thing that he is giving me and, and for his glory? Last year she was talking to me and, oh, you know, spoiler alert, she took the job. Just in case you didn't know, Spoil- and, and uh, last year she was talking to me. She was so excited because she had been asked to be a coach at Pacelli for tennis, and she was just like, is, it, it, you could see her glowing, and it was just like God had. She was like, God had answered my prayer. I love doing this; is one of my loves, and it's one of my things that that I wanted to use. And 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 she finally, we were talking about this, and we came to this conclusion that God actually took that away, she had to give that up so that God could sanctify it only to give it back to her to be used for ministry. And God does this in so many different ways in our lives, those things, but God, I want to be big in the church. God, I want to do some great things. God, I want to lead the next Sunday school that has 80 People, I want to preach to a thousand. There's my personal thing, right? But would a thousand want to come in here? That's the big question. I want to preach to a thousand, right? But Jesus says, wonderful. But let me take that away from you. And I want to see if you're willing to give a cup of cold water in my name to someone. Only to give it back to be used for his kingdom only to give it back to us for something that God can use to further his kingdom. And that's what God does all along. Renouncing these things are, are people, are, are things that are gonna get in the way, or at least we have elevated over our relationship with Christ, and they can get in the way of those things that can Uh, be a pit stop, can be a roadblock for us responding to this call of discipleship wholeheartedly with all that we have and in a way that God can use in a beautiful way. Now, that kind of sets our stage here for us to go into just two little individual things about this passage. And then I'm going to close with uh, uh, an application for us. I want you to notice what I've just said and what I've just shared with you. I want you to kind of not let that go. I want you to hold on to that as you go into these next two things. First, the call of Christ that he calls people, when Jesus calls a disciple, he calls an individual, not a group. Did you see this, this passage that was earlier? And many people were following him. Many were, were uh, with him. And, 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 it's, and, and when Jesus is addressing them, I want you to notice the subtlety of the change of pronouns he does not address the crowd using the second person plural pronoun you plural you plural but he says you singular he he calls the individual he addresses the crowd he calls the individual why why is this important what wouldn't it make more sense, Jesus, if you called cities and churches and families and, and groups of people? Wouldn't you get more results quicker to carry a cross to be a disciple? Doesn't that make more sense? Why in the world do you call individuals and not groups? He does it. Because it, in calling an individual it is harder. It's easier for the individual if it is a group call. In a crowd, the difficult things can be rationalized as someone else's job. If I'm telling you as a group that you need to uh, pick up your cross and follow Christ, it's easy for you to look across the room and see somebody else and say, it's not my time, it's that person's turn to pick up the cross. I picked up the cross yesterday. I taught VBS last year. It's somebody else's turn to do it. I taught Sunday school last time. It's somebody else's turn. In a group call, it is easy for us to look at the the call as somebody else's job. In a crowd, conviction of sin can be easily shifted to the person next to you. Preacher, preacher, You're talking to my husband, aren't you? Not me. You nudge the person next to you. Maybe it's a child, son, daughter, husband, friend, whatever. (laughs) See, I was telling you this. This is exactly what I was telling you. It's easy to shift the conviction of sin to another person. And in a crowd, I can fool myself that I can be a disciple on the coattails of somebody else. This is why Jesus does not call groups. He calls individuals. Personal transformation comes from a personal call of Christ. And the call to individual, the individual forces the individual to take a personal inventory of their life, not their neighbor's life. Not somebody else's life, but their own life. Whether disciples want to or not, they have to make a decision. Am I going to respond to the call to be a disciple, or am I going to ignore it? That's a decision, either or. And the decision must be made alone. Later on, if you make the wrong decision, you can't blame anyone else. It is your decision. So the disciple is called alone, and the disciple is called to follow alone. But out of fear, people find safety in numbers, in the numbers of people and the numbers of things around them. And when call, we, when we feel maybe the Holy Spirit convicting us of our own sin, identifying what our cross might be in those moments of where we have to be self-denied or deny ourselves, we suddenly, all of a sudden, we, fi- we discover all the things that we need to do. The honey-do list that I have to do that my wife... Now, nah, I'd love to spend some more time, Jesus, on this sermon, but i got to paint the house. You know, of those things we wouldn't do, Jesus. I, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm ADD. This is a very real thing. It's easy for me to find that shiny object that's next and go to it. I got str- struggle with it. All of a sudden, I discover all those other things that I got to do, and I cling to it that I got to do now. We want to make the decision under the cover of what family thinks of what friends think, of what your brother and sister is going to think, the job is going to think, what is the status going to, what are the people going to think around me? Listen, in March 21st, 1991, I received a call of ministry. My call to ministry happened on the north side of Pittsburgh in a church called Allegheny Center Alliance Church. And when I received that call to ministry, I was scared to tell my dad, What would he think about me? My dad was a pharmacist. He had a pharmacy, owned a family business. And I was the last of the boys or the the kids. My mom and dad had four boys. The last of the kids that were actually tried to go into pharmacy school and to take over the business. And and I just thought, man, what's dad going to think of me? Maybe this call was something I fabricated in my mind. Certainly it would be better for me to be a pharmacist and take over the business. And not only was I scared about what my dad would say, I was scared about to tell my friends, are you crazy? That churchy stuff? Aren't you a little too old for that? I was scared to tell others in my class, maybe, I was afraid they were going to think, you just failed out, didn't you? (laughs) You just couldn't handle neuropharmacology class, right? The synapses and all those things. You you just failed out, right? Come on. You just wanted to do something a little bit easier. But there I was at Allegheny Center Alliance Church. I was feeling the call of Christ to be in ministry. Hundreds of others were in there. And I felt as if God was speaking to me alone. Alone. And the time came at the end of the service where Buster Soares, the evangelist, gave an invitation for me to respond, an invitation to become one of the workers in the field that is ripe with harvest. And as an individual, I walked down that aisle from the balcony and came forward alone. Oh, there were other people with me, but I went alone still carrying the anxiety of what dad would think, family, friends would think. You see, at the moment of the call, what Jesus is saying here, nothing else matters. Well, that's very short-sighted, isn't it, Jesus? Well, if I told you that, then you can have a little bit of doubt. But the one who spoke in creation, leapt into existence, the one who gave up his, himself to come down, to take on the form of humanity, to die on a cross, says it, the one who walked these earths healing people, calling sinners to him, is the same one, who is inviting you, if I were to give you that call, I think you should doubt me. But the one who does these things, who is able to say emphatically, I will not let you down, we can respond. It is not way out there somewhere. This is real. And transformation can happen. Individuals hearing a call and responding. Last Tuesday or Wednesday, a revival started on the campus of Asbury University. Asbury's a really special place for me. It's where I met my wife, changed the whole trajectory of my life. After I received, took that call in ministry, I went to Asbury College. At that time, it's now Asbury University. And I remember, again, my dad and my mom with me, and I'm wondering what they're going to think when they come down and they visit this campus that's taking their son 462 miles away. And I remember when my dad walked on campus later on that evening, he said, there's no doubt this is the place you should be. Revival is happening there right now. It's been going on for about four or five days, reminiscent of what happened in 1970. It happened again in 1993 when Lisa and I were there. It happened when, um, y'all know John Evans. John Evans, is uh, he was at Asbury for some time. Revival happened on there when he was there. Do you know what the stimulus of revival is? The stimulus of revival is taking the call of Christ seriously and taking it as an individual. Hundreds of people in Hughes Auditorium under the signage of holiness unto the Lord are making an individual response to the call of Christ. People are confessing their sin. People are standing up and saying, what I have thought has been wrong." This is not bad, but this has stood between me and Christ. And it's got to go. And people are coming to the Lord. And this is something that is not just happening on this campus. Like 1970 is going on now. It is reaching across the, the state, the country, and the world. Look it up. It's happening right now. At midnight last night... There were 1,200 people in Hughes Auditorium. One person wrote that when she, when she walked outside of Hughes Auditorium, she no matter where she walked, she felt wind blowing in. The wind from the east, the wind from the north, the wind from west, south, it was just blowing in. I mean, maybe that was her perception of it, but she said the Holy Spirit is coming and has something in mind to do. This is what is happening all around. And this is what God wants. Not for your family, not for St. Paul, not for Columbus, but for you as an individual. As an individual. It's important that we hear the call of Christ as an individual. And we do the tough work as an individual to respond to what God is calling us to do. There's one other point, and this point's a lot shorter. And that is, the invitation of Christ is into the kingdom of God. The invitation of Christ, when he steps on scene, the very first proclamation that the gospel writers speak of that Jesus does, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Time and time again throughout the gospels, Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God over and over again. So Jesus invites through faith in him, putting our confidence in him to live in the kingdom. So, if we combine all that of which Jesus has been saying here about being a disciple, we would actually be able to put it in this image to move out of your kingdom and into God's kingdom. You have influence, you have influence, and that influence becomes your kingdom. That might change in your home, in your family, in your place of work, the, on the field, of, uh, of, um, of uh, on a basketball court, wherever. You have influence and that is your kingdom. As Christians, listen, we are more willing to build our kingdom next to God's kingdom than in God's kingdom. We would rather not go into God's kingdom because that would mean I'd lose power. I'd lose control. I'm not going to be able to define what's important. But we think it's good enough that we just move our kingdom and we share the same border. And having our kingdom next to God's kingdom, we have a trade agreement with that kingdom. We go sometimes into God's kingdom and we sightsee or shop or visit museums built to collect relics, and tell stories about the Old Testament and New Testament. Sometimes we go into that kingdom, God's kingdom, for the parties and the celebrations. But when we've had our fill, when things get a little too uncomfortable and too real, we go back into our own kingdom, back into our own border and their own parties. Mainly, we go back into our own rule. Friends, We do not become a disciple to impress Jesus. We do not pick up our cross to be something significant in the kingdom of God. We don't do this. We actually respond to a call that Jesus gives us to pick up our cross, to deny ourselves and to follow him. And that only happens when we relinquish our own domain of influence. Our own area of control. I think God... I got a lot of good things going on in this kingdom. You can use. God, I got a lot of people and citizens in this kingdom I have influence over. And God says, I don't need that. God, I I, I have some, some exports that I can give you. God, I can come and keep a seat warm each week in your museum. I can praise and I can worship. And God says, I don't need that. See, I don't need you to be in your own kingdom. I need you to be in my kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is not something that is yet to happen. The kingdom of God is now. It is right now. Yes, it is something that is yet to happen. But it is right now. And collectively, we gather, not as just groups, but individuals who have said, I will give up what it is that is standing between me and you, and I will, cho- I will carry a cross, whatever that cross is, and I will follow you. In other words, I will renounce everything. Because more than anything, I want to be a disciple I want to make a difference. I want to change my world. And whether that means something big on a stage or with a child in third grade, as your teacher, as a teacher, God wants you to surrender. So, what would that look like? Only you can tell. Only you can answer that. But rest assured, he will not stop, he will not fail, he will not abandon. Gracious God, I pray that over the moments that you have given us and time together, that you would allow what is from you to stick to our hearts and what is not from you to fall to the ground and shatter, for shat, uh, sh- um, shatter. For I pray this, O oh God, in, in, in your name, for your kingdom. Amen.